The stage is dark, but the conversation is just beginning. Welcome back to the Utah Symphony Utah Opera's Ghost Light Podcast, a behind-the-curtain look at the world of classical music and the artists who make it. I'm Jeff Counts. And I'm Carol Anderson. We're going to return to a conversation we started two weeks ago with Maestro Carlos Miguel Prieto. Here's part two of that great discussion. I've talked about this with some of the artists with whom I've had the privilege of working and who are very well known. And I see that as they progress in life, they get more and more obsessive about this idea of having a unique experience in every single concert and having a connection with people at every single concert that can change those people's lives the same time can change your life. I mean, believe me that playing Beethoven 5 in Jamaica liberates you to play Beethoven 5 wherever. I mean, whenever I do Beethoven 5, I remember that. And I remember that with such joy that it, it, it will probably motivate me forever for Beethoven 5, that, that memory. That's amazing. I'm not sure I'll be able to hear it differently going forward. <laughs> I, just, I think you've influenced my listening to the piece going forward. As a performing musician, I'm really moved by that idea that you rehearse to, for freedom and not for correctness and for accuracy. I mean, you, were, you want accuracy, but it's not to make it ultimately be right, but it's to have the freedom to be spontaneous. Correct. And it, it, it also, as when you are conducting a rehearsal, I think the objective, at least I tried it to be like that. I mean, this week I'm doing three pieces that I do, that I've done a lot. I mean, I recorded Rock 3 with, with, with Boris, the soloist, and it's a piece that I feel very comfortable in I, I i'm glad i don't play the piano but I'm, you know i feel comfortable <laughs> conducting it then three-cornered hat is kind of part of my dna my you know my three spanish grandfather grandparents so uh, sombrero de tres picos is a piece that i understand i, I don't know i don't know why but i understand well and i've done a lot and and since in my eyes is comes from my own country, Mexico, and has this uh, very interesting poetic uh, origin, which also I'm connected with, the, the extra musical component of a piece. Um, so these three pieces, when I am rehearsing, I'm trying to get um, what I think those pieces should mean, okay? And through that, the dynamics, the accents, the etc. Everything makes sense. You see, it, because it's not academic. It's it's you're trying to get a piece, a meaning from a from a dance or from a piece of uh, music. So I try to make sure that the musicians understand that my objective is try to be as faithful to the score, but in order to make this piece theirs, so that they can within the boundaries of that faithfulness to the score, make it their own piece. So, Maestro, do you have a bucket list of pieces that you're dying to do someday before That, that, that I've never done before? That you've never done. There probably aren't that many, but maybe there are. It sounds like you've done a lot. The, 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 one obviously. of the things about my work, especially in Mexico, is the fact that I, I pretty much everything I do there is ticking off those bucket lists. Uh, and uh, I, I also, in Louisiana, in New Orleans, one of the things that is interesting about the orchestra is programming. The, we're, 
is, is quite unique. So there, there are few pieces like that, but, but there are a few, I mean, I'll tell you one that I'd like to do one day is Electra. And uh -huh. why? Oh, yes. Because I've done Salome and it was an incredible experience and it was a semi-staged production. It was, for me, it was a great experience. So, so Electra is one of those. Uh, another one is actually I'm going to do next year is Elgar's Second Symphony because mm -hmm. I, I love Elgar and I've done everything else other than Elgar's Second Symphony and there's a, a music a piece called uh, Falstaff, which is very interesting by Elgar. Um, uh, another thing that's on my bucket list, you will think I'm crazy, but it's it's been brewing here for about two or three years, is performing all Beethoven symphonies within one or two days. Ah, okay. Yes. And that's nuts, but um, <laughs> my summer orchestra in Mexico, it's called Mineria, which is a fabulous orchestra, and it's all musicians who really want to do interesting stuff and we the work uh, ambience is is fine and it's very nice and the level of music making is is very high so we are actually proposing next year to the hall a a weekend where on uh, saturday we'll play um five symphonies and sunday or four symphonies and i had this plan of doing orchestra A, B, and we even devised it like winds A, strings B, and then winds B, strings A, so that people didn't have the craziness of playing four symphonies. Uh, you know, because you always have this thing, oh, it's abusive, et cetera, et cetera. Guess what? Everyone wants to play everything. Of course. Okay? I saw that and, coming. I thought, wow, that's amazing. And, and, you know, it's the same people who complain when a concert is too long. <laughs> right. Yet, yet they right. want to do this because they, they want to have that... So I, sometimes though that bucket list includes doing stuff that I've done uh, a lot in a different way. That's right. one. Another part of my bucket list is doing the about 35 Haydn symphonies that I haven't done before. So I've done like around 68 or something. <laughs> and uh, I want to do them all before I take that step <laughs> <laughs> before you lay down the baton exactly so that's another one you're closer to reaching 104 than most conductors i know well because it's been an obsession of mine yeah. and because it's it's sometimes it means that i i, I used to have a i still have a, a festival called mozart haydn where sometimes we used to program symphonies of haydn by throwing dice <laughs> and yes and so so we always threw two numbers because yeah. very simple from 100 to 104 yeah. are always performed right they're some of the most famous right but like when you throw two dice you get some like 57 right okay <laughs> and then that you'd find oh my god that's a, that's a jewel yeah. we didn't know about it yeah uh and uh, so that's another another one is uh, doing all the mozart uh, piano concertos, mm -hmm. which I've done, I think about a dozen, but there's some, especially in the early ones that I, I haven't done. And, you know, like Mozart operas, I've done Figaro, I've done uh, Magic Flute, but I haven't done Così Fan Tutte, I haven't done the other stuff. Yeah. Um, I, I'm an opera lover, I'm not an opera performer, uh, and there are, I have my own uh, interests in opera, especially Britain, for example. I would love to do someday Peter Grimes because I think it's one of the greatest creations. Um, and uh, chamber operas also. Um, oh, no, Shostakovich, uh, Lady Macbeth uh, is yes, another one. Of 
uh, or to do once uh, the ring. You know, who knows? Some I I I could probably get it right by the first time. I don't know, but <laughs> it's still a great experience. I mean, I I remember as one of the most amazing experiences of my concert going live actually few months ago at the beginning of some sometime in 2018 i went to the opening of the season of the royal opera house in covent garden and they were doing rheingold and the way it started was the following and then i learned that it was the first time that they had ever done this uh, suddenly we were all seated there was absolutely packed house and then the lights go dark completely dark and absolutely no sound and people are imagining that the conductor is going to walk in and get his solo bow and then suddenly you get the music oh, wow. and to me that was like yes that's that's something that so i like experiences like that that then give me crazy ideas I did a, a crazy one in Bellas Artes in Mexico for the 85th anniversary of the of the hall and the orchestra, where uh, we had all of the Mexican favorites being danced by uh, by the local folkloric ballet, who's an amazing, mm -hmm. and we we did it in a very clever way, and again, things that make it a different theatrical experience uh, are are worth it. I mean, I'm a huge fan of Diaghilev ballets and especially Stravinsky ballet, or also this one, uh, Three-Cornered Hat. Uh, and uh, you either do those with no ballet or with full ballet, which is almost impossible. But I've started experimenting with uh, small versions of big ballets. So, for example, with Petrushka, with only the main characters and you imagine the fair. Um, and it, it's not only perfectly legal to do it, but it's actually something that adds great interest to the orchestra, uh, great interest to the performance. And the audience, they want to see things in a different light. And today uh, we have so much audiovisual opportunities everywhere that, uh, for example, I did a piece last week by Rachmaninoff, which is contemporary to this third piano concerto that's called The Isle of the Dead. Uh, the concert was on the day yeah, of day Halloween. Of of yep. So we did The Isle of the Dead. And I just thought the day of the concert, oh, why don't I show the audience the painting, which is uh, by a Swiss painter, Arnold Böcklin, the painting that inspired the piece. So... I started the concert just very briefly telling the audience that what inspired this work was a painting that they're going to see right there and we're going to play the piece while the painting is there. That which took about 15 minutes of uh, preparation, okay, just mm -hmm. getting it into some kind of machine to throw it into the <laughs> into the image was hugely successful because it drew the audience into a visual experience of well what is the composer trying to say things like that and yeah. i don't mean that great music needs help that that's not it i'm not i'm not saying that i'm just saying taking opportunities that sometimes make a concert goer feel that they've had a unique experience and a more direct connection with a piece of music 
Maestro, this conversation has been absolutely amazing, and I thank you for being with us today. We do have one more question. It's a tradition of our show, yes. and it's because of our name. We're called the Ghost Light Podcast because yes. of the light that goes on the stage so people don't fall into the pit, yeah. but also yeah. to keep the ghosts away because, as we know, yes. most theaters are haunted. So Carol and I are curious, <laughs> have you ever seen a ghost in all of the theaters you've been in? Give us some details. <laughs> ah, that's a good one. Okay, um, actually... I don't go into theaters thinking that I'm going to see a ghost, <laughs> Good. but I always imagine where the ghost would be. Okay. Uh -huh. And I, so I'll give you an experience. There's always cavernous places in theaters, especially old theaters where you would say, oh, this would be where the ghost would live. And then I kind of find that place and always think about that place where I'm performing. But I've never seen the ghost. Uh, and um, one one interesting thing in, in uh, Mexico is, you know, we have a very interesting connection with ghosts. And it's it's uh, spooky, but it's also part of the life of people. So I work in Bellas Artes, which is a very interesting art deco building that has Tiffany glass. And it has the biggest Tiffany glass um, fire curtain, the biggest thing Tiffany ever did, Louis Tiffany, and it's there. And I always like bringing down the curtain, and I always think that it's actually Louis Tiffany is behind the glass himself. <laughs> okay, and he was kind of a bigger than life character. If you go to the Met, uh, Metropolitan Museum in New York, you can learn a lot about him. But I, I feel it's like so huge. And yeah. it, it actually has two volcanoes, Popocatépetl and Itzatzíhuatl, these huge volcanoes that are next to Mexico City. And I always imagine that he would want to be buried behind that. So I'm thinking, well, that's maybe where the ghost is. And we do sometimes things in, in Mexico which you would find eerie, but I've done them before, which is that if there is a, a great person who died, we will play in the hall with, as an homage, with the casket. Ah, oh, oh right. okay. Yes, okay. yeah, sure. and people come. Wow. And that's something that, believe me, it's, it's spooky. You invite the ghosts in, it sounds like. Yes, yes. <laughs> but it's a big tradition. Like yeah. There's also orchestra traditions that um, in the orchestra that I used to be music director, whenever an ex-member or member of the orchestra w would, would die, they would bring the casket and we would always play the... Uh, the second, the slow movement from Eroica Symphony. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. My story, yeah. <laughs> Again, so <thank> weird. <laughs> thank, you, thank you so much for being part of the podcast today. We really look forward to the next time you're back in Utah. It's been great to have you. Thank you very much. And thank you to all of you who have been listening today for joining us on the Ghost Light Podcast. Be sure to subscribe and like us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and follow Utah Symphony on Spotify. I'm Jeff Counts. And I'm Carol Anderson. The Ghost Light Podcast is produced and edited by Robert Bedont. Be sure to visit utahsymphony.org and utahopera.org for more information on upcoming performances. If you're not already a seasoned subscriber, click on the tickets button to learn more about the benefits of being a part of our family of music lovers. The Utah Symphony and Utah Opera season sponsor is the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation. <laughs>